Good morning, GT Church. What a privilege it is to come and be before you today and to be able to bring God's Word. And uh, this is the legendary series about David that started several weeks ago. And I don't know if you remember, but you, you should, that it was the tall Pastor Scott that got this thing started about David. Then last week, it was the short Pastor Scott that led us on into that great victory that David had over Goliath. All I can guarantee you today is two things. My name is not Scott, but I will give you the broad version. I want to also join saying happy Father's Day to all of the, the fathers who are here today. And I'm privileged to be a father myself. And so uh, it's just always been a great thing for me to honor my father as well, who has now passed on and gone to be with the Lord and who I look with great expectation to meeting him once again. But this being Father's Day, before we get into the legend of David, somebody told me that it's Father's Day. And they asked him, are you going to tell any dad jokes? So I guess I better tell one. I'll just tell one dad joke here today. Why is Cinderella so terrible at playing soccer? Because she's always running away from the ball. That's it. No more dad jokes. <clears throat> And now, let's get back to the legend of David and looking at David's life. The main point of my message today is, is looking at David and getting a real glimpse of his heart and his soul and his spirit. And the main, real main theme of today is, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. When David behaved wisely in his ways, the Lord was with him. Men, I need you to listen very carefully today. Fathers that are here, young men that may, are not fathers yet, but someday will be fathers. The greatest desire that we have for every man in this room is that you not only be a man, you not only be a father, that you are a man of God and God's principles, and God's word is in your heart. And so I want you to listen very closely as we examine this, this certain part in David's life where this character was, was revealed in him and the character was continuing to be built up in his life. I want to pick up from the, the point where Pastor Scott stopped last week uh, after the great victory over the giant. After David, that young man, who looked up to that enemy and ran as fast as God. I love that when he, he reminded us that David ran towards him. David spoke with authority towards him in the name of the Lord God Almighty. What a great thing. Men, we need to be running with authority to our enemies and with authority speaking over them and saying, I have a greater power. There is more power in me because Jesus is in me today. Amen. And we need to have that thought in our mind and we need to follow the thought up with the actions as well. And so again, after that happened, 
just to sort of to fill in the spaces. I'm going to be talking mainly from in the, uh, the chapter 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 18. But I want to give you some of the background that goes from that point of where the giant fell to up to the point that I'm going to begin today. And what happened after was, of course, after the giant fell, and uh, Pastor Scott told us that then all those, all those silent warriors in the Hebrew camp, finally they invaded, they chased, they ran down and, and went after all of the Philistines. They chased them back to their camp in, in Gath and they plundered their camp. And then they started making their way and filtering back from, from Gath back to Jerusalem. So was David. David was making his way back to Jerusalem as well. And uh, he was going to be carrying a very important reminder. David was carrying with him a testimony that day. He was carrying the head of Goliath. The testimony that our God is greater and our God has defeated the enemy. Now on the way back from, from, uh, from the, the area of Gath and on the way back to Jerusalem, David, first of all, he took the armor he took that big, huge armor, that big spear. He took the, the shield and he took the helmet, whatever armor that Goliath had, and he stored them away in his field tent for the armies, out where they had his field tent. He stored them away. But the head of Goliath went with him all the way back to the city of Jerusalem. Now, we get an idea of just that the, the idea that David was not some, he was a young boy, but he was not a weak boy. And so he had some muscle, he had some strength. Imagine carrying in your hand that head of Goliath all the way back to the city of Jerusalem. But he was carrying it with strength. He didn't have to take all the other armor with him to say, look, at, look what I have done. I have taken his armor. I have taken his shield. I have taken his helmet and, and I have these trophies. No, the only thing he had to take was that head that proved the enemy was dead. And he had that testimony as he took it back into the city of Jerusalem. So again, that's as they were going back and, and, and all the armors and King Saul was going back to Jerusalem as well. King Saul had, had, a, had a question. Now, he should have known the answer to this, but King Saul, we understand, we get to the idea that he wasn't always like in his right mind. He was a troubled man in many ways because he was, uh, he was the king, but he was being challenged. He had already been told that he was not going to remain the king because of some of his actions and some of his works. So he was a troubled man. But yet in there, in that little gap between chapter 17 and 17, the end of 17, it says that King Saul had called his field captain, his army captain of the army, Abner, to him and said, uh, Abner, who was that young guy? Abner, what family is he from? And there was good reason that he wanted to know what family he was from because there was a reward that was offered. Remember, King Saul said, if anyone goes down there against that giant, uh, I will give them a reward. And one of the rewards was they could marry one of his daughters. The second reward was not, was not just for him to be able to marry a daughter, but the second reward was he and his family will live tax-free the rest of their lives. Hey, there's something to go for. Their family would be tax-free. 
And so King Saul is now inquiring. He, he wants to know. So who is this? Who is his father? What family does he come from? Who are we going to give, give that free pass to? That they no longer have to pay the taxes to our kingdom. And so he asked Abner, the general, and Abner says uh, something like, uh, oh, my gracious king and lord, I don't have a clue. I don't know who he was. And he says, well, we, we need to find out. We need to, we need to know. So Abner went and he found David and he brought, again, if you're reading, if you're reading this, he brought David, who was still carrying the head of Goliath, into the presence of Saul so he would have a private audience with Saul and Saul could ask him, David, what family are you from? And David humbly replied, he said, well, I am of the family of Jesse the, of, of Bethlehem, the Bethlehemite. And so now we knew who would be tax-free. Now this was all being settled. But something else, see, from that point on, because of that tremendous victory that David had brought into Israel, King Saul said, I am commissioning you, and forevermore now, you will not be going home to your family. You will not be taking care of the sheep out in the fields any longer. But I am commissioning you to be living in the king's palace. And so now, living in the king's palace, he went back, David went back to Jerusalem, and he was living in the palace. He had every, every wonderful thing that could be possibly given to, the, to buy the servants and for the servants and by the king's family. It was all provided for him there. And his responsibility was since he was a musician and a good one. And he was a well-spirited young man, a good one. When Saul would get those troubled experiences where he was almost out of his mind and terror came upon him, then David would be called into the palace and into the throne room and to play his music on his harp and to sing those melodious tunes. And that seemed to be the only thing that would calm Saul down. And so there he was. Now he was a part he was tucked away in that palace. And my, everything seemed to be going so well. Everything seemed to be, you know, in, in a great position for him. There was another thing that once, he, once David came to the palace, he developed a very good, close relationship with King Saul's son, Jonathan. They were approximately, Jonathan and David were approximately the same age. And Jonathan had heard of the wonderful things that David had accomplished. They, they were sort of kindred spirits, you know, of, of one heart. They, 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 were, they were good buddies together. And Jonathan, now listen to this. How do you become the best friend of the person who's going to take your position? Because Jonathan was the one that was supposed to be the next king. He was the king in waiting. He was the heir to the throne as the son of Saul. And yet Jonathan knew, there was something about Jonathan that he knew that the anointing and the blessing was on David. And Jonathan was willing, and, and what we have again laid out for us there in the end of chapter 17, in the beginning of 18, we say, it says that Jonathan became a very good friend of David. And he gave David... His, his bow, 
his arrows. He gave David his, his, his shield. He gave David his robe. And was, these things were already, already had the seal of the kingdom on them. And Jonathan was, was, was saying to David by giving him all of these things, I understand. I know that this belongs to you. I know that it isn't rightly mine because God has made a decision that you will be the next king. And so in, in an act of, of, of favoritism, in honoring someone else, Jonathan gave all those things, including the royal robe that he had to David, and they became such very close friends. So it seems that everything is going well. David seems to be on the fast track to the throne. My, things are looking good. He is a favored young man. But I think every one of us in this room know that the journey of life is not filled with all good days. Not everything is going to continue to go very smoothly for him. Now, if we were to turn this into a, into a, a town hall or a church meeting and all of you are, were, are members and all of you get a vote in this, in this membership meeting today, everyone here gets a vote. And I present to you, GT Church, you can now vote all in favor of never having another bad day. Say aye. Yeah, sure. We'd all vote for that, wouldn't we? I vote for never having another bad day, sure. But there are days that are challenging days. There are days that become vicious days when the attacks come into our life. But when you are a called, anointed child of God, all those days which seem to be troubles and trials are really days that are building our character and preparing us for something greater that God has ahead of us. Oh, David was, was very favored and he had many good things that were happening and taking place in his life. But he needed to have some dings. He needed to have something come to him. You know, today, is if you follow golf at all, today the U.S. Open is being played in Los Angeles. It'll be the final day. They've been playing, the, played what, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Today's the final day at the U.S. Golf Tournament. Open, U.S. Open. And how many guys have ever played golf? How many ladies, ladies, guys, you've played golf? You know, a golf ball is pretty small. And a golf ball, look at it closely. It has all those dimples on it. It's not smooth. You'd think it would be smooth. Well, originally, now golf is an ancient game. And originally, it was a very smooth, wrapped-up leather ball with feathers inside and very smooth. And then it developed to other harder surfaces, and it was smooth. But back in about the middle of the, of the 19th century, about 1858, those who were, who were trying to make the best golf balls, by accident, some of the golf balls got some dimples in them. And when they tried them, they went farther and they were more accurate by having some of those dimples in them. And so now it has become, you know, who can make the best golf ball with the most uh, symmetrical dimples and, and, and in there? Because that's the golf ball that's going to go the farthest. It's going to be the truest thing as it flies. The dimples that come 
from impressions that are made upon them. It takes pressure. It takes attacks. And I want to say that, yes, we can sometimes profit greatly by some of the dimples that come into our life. David was about to have some dimpling take place. He was about, you know, I mean, after all, you know, he was going to become the king, but it was going to be a rather long time. So now I want you to follow along very clearly with the text, beginning at verse 5 of chapter 18. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So David was appointed to be another field general over, his, over Saul's armies and to be out there in charge of them. I, 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 it seems to me that almost every senior member in that army would have seen this young guy freshly appointed by Saul and looking at him and thinking, what's this kid going to do? Why is he leading? Why am I not the one that has chosen? I've been in the army much longer than he He hasn't even served in the army yet. Oh, yeah, he did that thing about killing a giant, but he hasn't served in the army. He doesn't know what the daily routines are. He doesn't know the drills. He doesn't, so there could have been, a, you would think there would have been that kind of animosity, but it doesn't say that. It says that when Saul sent him out into those armies that those soldiers accepted him. The people accepted him, that he was Saul's servant, and there was something special about him. So he was appointed. He went out, and he behaved wisely. He behaved appropriately. He behaved with respect to the king. Lock that thought away in your mind. He behaved respectively to the king who was his authority. In verse 6, it said, Now it had happened. As they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced, and they sang and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain ten thousands. So right here, David is transitioning from being a farmer to being famous. Transitioning from being a farmer to being famous. When David was watching those sheep, how many times do you think the sheep stood up and applauded him? How many times did the sheep sing a song for him? He sang many songs for them. Did those sheep ever return the favor and sing for him? But now... David was hearing, as they were coming back from the battle of the Philistines, he was hearing a song. He was seeing seeing women that were dancing and playing their tambourines, oh, having a great go about uh, with great music, the women. Hey, guys, the women were singing for him. Everybody, any men had the ladies sing for you? You know what, guys? I think if we're honest, we don't have to have a woman sing for us. All we have to do is have a nice, fine lady, a 
and I'm speaking of the one I married, bat her eyelashes at us one time. Oh, we melt. We would do anything to see that smile across her face again. She likes me. She does. Just simple little gestures of the woman. But now we have David seeing, it says, women from all over the country were dancing and singing this praise song. But listen, I don't know if you caught this or not because you know where I'm going with this, but do you understand that these women used to always come out and sing a song every time King Saul would lead his troops back victoriously. It was not new for King Saul. And, and by the way, there, there, there are accounts that are given of King Saul would always be the one blowing his own horn. King Saul would always be the one making sure the trumpets would, would be sounding as he, as he was riding and bringing the troops back home. It didn't matter if King Saul didn't, did not defeat one person in the army. He was the king. He was in charge. And so for all the great works that everybody else did to destroy the enemy, King Saul would be riding up in the front on his horse and listening to the, those ladies sing and dance about Saul. Saul has slain his thousands. That's the way it used to be in the kingdom. But now it was a little bit different. Now the song, there was a new verse. Now there was a new emphasis that was put in the song. But they still were there. Remember, they still were there. It says that they came to sing for Saul as he was returning with the troops. But Saul didn't hear the same adulation that was still there for him. All he heard was though that last verse of the song that they kept singing over and over again. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And something got into that evil, that evil spirit got in to David's heart. I mean, not David's heart, but, but into King Saul's heart. And Saul became jealous. Saul became fearful that his kingdom was going to be taken away from him. He had already previously been told that the kingdom would be taken away from him, but now it was like getting very close to home, understanding that maybe it was this guy who was really going to take his place. He did not like it. You know, insecure people always feel threatened by capable people. Isn't that true? Insecure people always feel threatened by capable people. That is why we need to have our confidence not in ourselves, but our confidence needs to be in God. Because if our confidence is in God, then we should always feel capable. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But when we begin to think that somebody else is superior, somebody else is cutting in on my territory, that envy and jealousy may rise up like it was rising up in the life of King Saul. And he was jealous and he was starting to whine. You know, he was whining. I'm talking about David more than they are me. They shouldn't be doing that. Don't they know I'm the king? And it's whiny. Spirit turned into the troubling spirit that troubled him. And so, again, he should have been reminded. Remember the prophet who anointed David was, was Samuel? 
And if Samuel is the one that had anointed King Saul to be king. But then Saul did some, some things he wasn't supposed to do. And he was challenged by the prophet Samuel. And as Samuel was walking away at one point, Saul reached out and grabbed the robe of the prophet and ripped it off of him. And Samuel turned around and said, Saul, just as you have ripped my robe off from me, your robe of the kingdom is going to be ripped off from you. So Saul had that in his mind. And he knew that this was a troubling time for him. So he came to that point and notice what it said in this verse that we just reread previously. There was one point there that it says, from that point on, he never took his eyes off of David. Does that sound like a suspicious person to you? So really, from that time on, Saul was basically saying, I got you in my eyes. I'm watching you, David. Be careful. I'm watching you. But David was not concerned about the eyes of Saul being on him. David's main concern was what did God see? David wanted to, wanted to make sure that the eyes of God that were upon him, the eyes of God that had led him, the eyes of God that, that, that had brought him to a place of, of victory over Goliath, the eyes of God that, that took him from that shepherd's field now to a very, a very famous position and said he would be the next thing. It was the eyes of God that David was most concerned about. Is there a man in the house today that is more concerned about what God thinks than what people think? I hope this house is full of men that are more concerned about what God thinks and what God's appointment has been for your life. Not what the world says it is. Not what the king says it is. What does God say it is? You see, the good thing about David's spirit before God was that David already knew the truth that the Apostle Paul would later remind the church of. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, and now this is, a, this is sort of a tut- tutorial for all the men in the house today. But listen, if you're not a man and you're sitting in this house today, this tutorial is for you too. It's for all Christians. Listen, what Peter said. This is going into a New Testament text. But, but again, David knew these things in his spirit. But this is what Peter said, 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Men, do we have the one mind today? We should be of one mind, and our mind needs to be focused on Jesus. Having compassion for one another. Compassion is not generally at the top of the list in the macho man's life. Is it? You think of macho men. You think of soldiers and warriors. You generally don't think of compassion. Peter is saying to men in the church and everybody in the church, listen, one with God and compassion towards others. David had that spirit of compassion. Love as brothers, brotherly love. Be tender-hearted. Again, another word, being tender-hearted. If a man 
seems to do something in a tender-hearted way, he gets labeled sometimes, oh, look how weak he is. Oh, no. A tender-hearted man is probably the strongest, most courageous man on the face of the earth. And, and Peter's saying, this is, this is what Christian men should be like, tender-hearted. And they should be courteous. Are there men here today that still know you should open up a door for a woman? Are there men that know you should still prefer and give others, even if it's a stranger? Open the door for them. Courteous, in honor, preferring one another. That's what godly men should do. And in David's life, we're going to see too that he, David had these principles already. They, so they, it, and he didn't get them from Peter. Peter got them from God, and David was getting them from God, and, and David was a courteous person. Look, not returning evil for evil. Oh, we want to get our revenge. I'm sure that at some time in your life, and I will confess that I said, oh, they're going to get theirs. And then God puts me in my place and says, no, the revenge is not for you. Reviling Reviling and evil, that's not for you. But in contrary, he says, in contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, is to bless others. Men, ladies, everybody, our job as a child of God is to bless others in the name of the Lord. For a long time, I was a a youth pastor, a children's pastor. and I don't know, when you get to be 75, you don't fit in there too much anymore. But, but a long time, I've, I had the privilege of serving some great churches and a children's pastor. So we did a lot of children's churches and, and a lot of kids' crusades and all that kind of thing. And when you're doing this stuff with the kids, you know, we, all, we always had some kind of a competition between the boys and the girls. You know, who was singing the best, the boys or the girls? Who knew the Bible verses the best, the boys or the girls? And we'd have a, a scoreboard, and all, all through junior church, we'd be marking this to see who was winning and who did the best. And you know what happened? Every time when I started, when I started in that children's ministry, these kids get all excited. And every time the girls would win something, we'd say, ah, oh, the girls won this, or the girls won that. The boys would go, boo. Boy, we nipped that in the bud. And I told the very first time it happened, I told those boys, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the Bible way. The Bible says if somebody does something good, you bless them. So what you have to do, boys, every time the girls do something better than you, you have to stand up as a group, turn and face them, and say, bless you, girls. That didn't go over so well that first week. But it was the same for the girls. If the boys won something, then the squirmy little girls had to stand up and look at the boys. Bless you, boys. And if they didn't do it right, we'd do it over again. No, no, I mean a genuine good. Bless you. They started to get the idea. Listen, that's what the Bible says, right? Somebody does something 
good instead of being jealous, instead of saying, oh, that should have been mine, or, or I should have won that prize. No, you should say, bless you, and mean it with all your heart. Because if you do that, God's going to turn that blessing around to you someday and bless you. So again, back to Peter. Boy, I got David going on here. I got Peter going on here. I got children's church going on here. It's all biblical teaching. And so he says, when you say, you bless them. And let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. There it is. It's the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to the prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So bless. David knew that. Let's get back to David. David knew that in the way that he acted in the kingdom. It says, and it happened in verse 10, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as he did at other times. But there was a spear in the hand of Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. The next transition point in David's life is this. He was transitioning from singing tunes to a sitting target. You ever been there in your life? Where one day everything was going great and the next day you're a sitting target? And that was David transitioning at that point. So we are reminded that anyone who is separated again to do God's work is going to become a target, right? And that's why men are such a target today. Satan doesn't want godly men on this earth. So they become targets. But those bad things happen when you become jealous like it was with this spirit. By the way, we'll have this. Pastor Dave is preaching live uh, over at North today. Same, same type of message. Not, not, we, don't, we even compared notes or anything, but he's teaching in the same subject matter. And we're going to be combining together to talk on the podcast this week. So tune into the podcast because that's when we might be able to unpack some of these things. Like, well, it seems strange that King Saul had this troubled spirit come upon him, that he was prophesying with a troubled spirit. We might be able to give some insight on the podcast this week. So, so tune in. So this was the time that David was playing to soothe that spirit in Saul. And instead, Saul took his spear. And he tried to pin David to the wall. It was his intent to kill David at that moment. Now notice here are two men, two separate agendas, two separate things in their heart, two separate things in their hands. You can look and sort of get the picture of Saul with a spear, David with a harp. A spear to kill, to destroy, to take down. But David, the singer, wanting to do something right and calm down. Here's a very simple, simple thought for everybody in the room. But men, please, men, men, I want you to listen very carefully. It matters what's in your hand and what you're doing with your hands. 
but it matters more what's in your heart. Because what is in your heart will determine what you do with your hands. What's in your heart will decide what you do with your hands. And a spear was thrown at David, zip! And David was there playing away, strumming, singing, and whoo! Somehow, it missed it. David might have had quick reflexes, and all of a sudden, last second, ducked out of the way. Our God might have misguided and directed that spear out of the way. Our Saul, his, his, his anger couldn't, couldn't aim right and couldn't be straight, but yet Saul's intention was to kill David right then and there. Stop the music and end it for David. But instead, all it did was create one of those dimples in the life of David. Oh, it was an attack on him. As a matter of you know, you know, again, come on, man, what would you have done? You're sitting there playing your music, and a spear comes whistling by your head, and you see the guy sitting across the room and threw it at you. Oh, man, I think I'd be over there picking that thing up. I'll show you. I mean, David, imagine David. He's like, Hey, buddy, didn't you see what I did to that giant? You're no match for me. Chuck that old spear right back there at him. If you can't get a hold of the spear, throw the harp at him. Yeah, that's it. I'll get him. Is that the way David reacted? No. He he apparently continued to play and sing because it happened again. And at least two times he was attacked. But it was in his heart, in his heart, that God had already established a respect for that king and the authority that was there. We need to have respect in our hearts. And first of all, respect to God. In verse 12, it says, and I now I've got to really quickly go and zoom along here. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But had departed from Saul, therefore Saul removed him from his presence, and he made him captain over thousands, and he went out, and he came in before the people, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out, and he came in before them. Another transitioning point as we come to the close. David was transitioning now from a soldier to a servant. David was transitioning from a soldier. Oh, he would continue to be a soldier. He would continue to be a warrior. But it was that servant's heart that he had. And yet, it says that the Lord had departed from Saul. Could there be any more crushing words in the Bible? Could there be any more crushing words for you when your obituary was written? That it says in that obituary, and the Lord departed from him. Whew. Oh, Lord, not me, please. I don't ever want your presence to depart from me. But Saul continued to set David up for failure. Saul, of course, gave his his daughter, Michael, Michael, to him to marry. But his intent was not to bless David with her. His intent was that she would be a stumbling block to him. That didn't seem to work. 
So he says, I, I will continue, Saul said, I'll continue to send David out. I'll continue to have him go out to, to the farthest regions and continue to set him up in battle. His idea was, I'll send him out where he's surely going to be killed. So he doesn't take the kingdom away from me. But all the time, David kept coming back. And it says again, when, that when he came back, the people were blessed by him. And he was a people person. He, he mixed in amongst the people. He enjoyed the people's presence. Everybody. And they enjoyed him. The humbling heart. You see, that heart of David was one that was first humbled before God. You know that in James chapter 4, verse 10, we have that, that word that says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. And I wonder, where are the men in the house today of GT that are, have, and will in the future be willing to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord? Because when you do that, he's the one that lifts you up. He's the one that exalts you. You know, fathers... I don't know how it was when you were coming home the end of your day of work or anything, but in the majority of houses, when daddy's coming home, the young kids especially, they're pretty excited. They sit at the windows and they wait. And mommy says, daddy's coming home. And pretty soon the kids say, daddy's coming home, daddy's coming home, daddy's coming home, with great appreciation. That's in most cases, but you know, sometimes... Later on in life, if a father is not setting a very good example, that tune changes from, Daddy's coming home, Daddy's coming home. Oh, Dad's coming home, look out. We're going to get it now. Yeah, maybe there's discipline he needs to meet out. My father did that. My mother would tell me that sometimes I had to wait for my dad to come home. And I wasn't sitting there saying, Daddy's coming, Daddy's coming. (laughs) No, and I was challenged, and Daddy had something to do. But I'm talking about there are some children that are absolutely afraid to see the face of their fathers because their fathers do not have the heart of God. The fathers have not humbled themselves in the presence of the Lord. Listen, the manliest thing you can do, mister, is have the heart of God that will be transferred from God's spirit to your spirit and to your children's spirits. That they will be excited about the things that you have taught them. If your mouth is full of vulgarities, it doesn't take very long for those kids to start saying those words. And what, what, what does a mother and a father say when the very first off-color, harsh word comes out of the Oh, no, 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 don't, don't speak like that. That's, that's for adult people. Yeah, fine example. Cat's already out of the bag, right? They want to be like you, Dad. They want to do what you do, Dad and Mom. They want to talk like you do. They want to feel big like you. So listen, listen, uh, I'm past time. I've got to wrap it up.
What are your children saying? What did your children say? And there's always time to change. If you're breathing today, God can help you have the right heart to bless your children and your home and have the respect like David did. David was being attacked. And yet he still grew in favor with all the people because he treated the king properly and had the right respect in his heart. Today, we're going to close. There's not going to be music or anything else because, again, the, the time limitations. But here's what I really want to know. I want to know as, as the father, one man to another man in this room. Men, are you willing just to take a stand today? I think of a verse, and I'd like you to sort of, we're going to put this verse up, and I want you to make this your pledge today so that everybody in this room hears it and that God hears it. Before God and this audience, here's this pledge. It really comes out of, out of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt me in his time. Are there any men that would like to stand and quote that with me? Young, old, fathers, fathers-to-be, any men that are just going to take a stand right now where you are, and you're going to use your mouth. And hopefully this is coming from your heart and out of your mouth for everybody to hear Would you say it with me? I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt me in due time. Uh, Excuse me, men. You said that like the Girl Scouts. (laughs) Say it like a Marine. Say it like SEAL Team 6. You really mean it in your heart. Come on, man, if you mean this, say it with me. I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt me in due time. Stay standing, men, as I pray for you now. Lord God, in heaven, you heard these men. Some of them may have stood and said it because they didn't want to be embarrassed. Some of them may be embarrassed that they said it. But, oh, God... If they meant that and they spoke this word to you and it fell on your ears right now, I want you to fulfill your promise to their pledge. As they humble themselves to you, you will bless these men. You will exalt these men. In due time, Lord, you have a time. You have a season. You have a plan. You have a work. You have a will. You have a power to give every one of the men in this room today. And we are claiming that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You man can sit down. And I'm just going to, we're going to have a dismissal here. If you want somebody to pray with, if you're at that point, and not only men, but if there's others here, women here, anybody here, These things apply to you too, you know. God's the same. God wants to exalt you women as well. 
And if you need prayer for anything specific, if you need prayer to, to come to know, get to know Jesus as your Lord so you can live with a right heart towards him, when we dismiss, I'll be here. Others, prayer team people will be here. And we would love to pray with you right here at this altar before you go. Now let's all stand together. As Pastor Dan said, there's going to be special, special, special hot dogs for you to eat out there. And therefore, the men of any age, the men that are here, uh, enjoy that as you go to the atrium area. Out to the, you'll see where it is. You'll see where the crowd's going. And listen, if you are a, a wife, our friend, our mother or a daughter of a man that's here. They stood saying that pledge. Did it mean something to you? You need to let them know. Ladies, not in this way. Don't say, don't go to them and say, well, it's about time. No. You grab that guy's hand and say, bless you. Bless you for wanting to lead in our house in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Go have your hot dogs. Be blessed.